0: My guest today is Sean Murphy. Sean is the CEO and founder of SK Murphy, a consultancy helping clients find early customers, build early revenue. Sean is a sales and customer development expert focused on B2B. Recently, Sean also published a new book, part of a series of three called Working Capital, It Takes More Than Money. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Maybe as a a first question. So I read your book over the weekend. Uh, What was your goal in writing Working Capital?
1: Well, I, I wanted entrepreneurs to get a, a better understanding of how three types of working capital operate, so that they can use them to establish and scale a viable business. That in addition to financial
0: capital, there's also intellectual capital and social capital. So yeah, speaking of this specifically, like, I, I really like your analogy for these capital uh, They're a little bit like three legs of a stool. They're all important in order to achieve success in business. So if we were to, to zoom out a bit, like thinking through this, like then what would you say? What would you say someone is ready to be an entrepreneur? Like, is there even such a thing? (laughs) So I'll give you the flip answer,
1: which is you're ready to be it after you've had your second business failure, right? And then you're, (laughs) you're, you're really ready. Um, in my experience, entrepreneurship is very, very hard. Uh, I believe that people are either born born that way or they're forced into it. Um, if you're if you're starting out, I think you're much better served to work for a firm with a successful f- system that you can learn from. Um, and I would learn as much as you could before you go out on your own because learning on somebody else's nickel is substantially cheaper, right? Yeah, making your own mistakes. Um, I would also try and pick an industry or pick an area with customers that you want to work with. Now, this may take, you know, much of your twenties to figure out, or even some of your thirties. I, I'm not, I, I don't think you necessarily have to um, go right out there and, and, you know, fail on your own right away.
0: So should you, should people aspire to be entrepreneurs kind of, Decide on their career earlier on based on their ambitions to be entrepreneurs. Like, should they, they, they consider that?
1: That's a good question. Because you, you so just, yeah. So so I think two things. One, I think it's a mindset that can be applied to a variety of domains. So I think you need to develop domain expertise, intellectual capital, whatever you want to call it, and I think you've got to develop. Some understanding of the customers you're going to serve before you go do it. So it's not, um, uh, it's 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 both of those. Um, I think it's an orientation or a mindset. I think you can be entrepreneurial inside of companies as well. You can look for ways to improve services, improve processes that create more value for the customer. That's another way to kind of experiment or move down the learning curve in terms of what's it take to um, learn how to introduce and, and sell change.
0: Okay. Okay. So, so, so say someone has failed a few times, has built some form of career. Like, how would you, uh, what kinds of business opportunities do you feel that they should be prioritizing? So say that again, I'm sorry, what kind of business, what? So, so if you, you've been in that situation where you've, uh, say you, you've had a few failures maybe, or you've built your career to a certain point, uh, what, kinds of, what, what kinds of business opportunities do you feel that, that uh, people should consider prioritizing?
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay. So to me, you've got to look for places where your know-how and your existing business relationships provide you with a significant competitive advantage. It's, it's not just energy and enthusiasm. You've got to um, bring distinctive competence the ability to deliver results and preferably some affinity for the people you're going to be serving some knowledge of and affinity for the people you're going to be serving.
0: what is there one of these facets that that's most more important or more critical in terms of like is there one that's um, that's fully essential like you can't start without
1: so we like to see teams come together and play. So so I think that on a team, there has to be at least one person that's worked with or understands what it's like to be the customer or the people you're trying to sell to. Doesn't have to be everybody on the team. um, And there's advantages to having some people without direct industry experience. They tend to bring new ideas from adjacent fields. But that's, I think, important. And you've got to have some insights and some ability to to. To solve a problem in a better way than what's already out there.
0: Okay. Okay. So, in a way, one person that has a profile that's at least partly uh, a domain expert, or at least have have some domain expertise.
1: Right. Right. And that. And and it's. um, So I think that that, without that, you can you can. You can achieve what's called the negative strategic surprise. You just don't know something about the domain that turns out to be fairly essential. So you can't. There's a category of information that's not written down, and if you haven't worked in the industry or worked with people and supported them or or been part of that, it's hard to get that from. I mean, I can read ten books on on the Apollo program or what it's like to be an astronaut. (laughs) I really I mean that's very different from the guy who's sitting at mission control in front of the panel, or the guy who's sitting in the in the pilot chair of the of the shuttle or whatever, right? But I can have, I can
0: have read a lot of books about it, right? It's just there's two it's two different kinds of knowledge, right? So, so what you're, you're saying a little bit is that this might mean that you run into uh, a, a, a kind of challenge that you didn't anticipate, but that will actually be uh, Maybe dead, deadly to your business, to your efforts.
1: So, cre- cre- so there's this guy Alan Hirshman, right, who says creativity is the result of of discovering of, of finding yourself in a very challenging situation. So, I think I think that um, it's fine to bring people from the outside. It's good to have people on the team. It's good to have a diverse team that have that are coming from different places. But if you don't have anybody, if you don't have Tonto, if you don't have somebody that knows what it's like to travel the Badlands or get through the desert, then yeah, you, you, you may make some very, you, you may
0: discover some things that you wish you had known before you started. Okay, okay. so in, in that sense, like I have this experience, I'm an entrepreneur, I've had certain domain expertise, I've, I've worked in different uh, types of organization. So how would you recommend that that person starts thinking about markets, audiences? Like, like what kind of entry market should that person be looking for?
1: Well, I, I would look for, so I really like Peter Thiel's formulation of secrets. So I think you should, you should have determined something that you believe is true or you're confident is true, which is contrary to commonly accepted wisdom. Right, so it's you can be early, you can be different, but but if if you're proceeding just based on, um, you know, common sense and an ability to execute, it's really hard to outperform uh, incumbents unless you've got some kind of geographic separation or there's some other kind of separation from from people that have been in that industry for a while, right? So I think you've got to have you've got to have something which is going to give you an unfair advantage, right? Yeah. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't, so it's okay to, to study and to, I, I would definitely not quit your day job until you've
0: got a very clear um, idea of what's going to make you different. And how sustainable should that distinction or that difference or that, that, that ability to differentiate on the market be like, how, how long-lasting should it be?
1: I think I think it's got to be at least three to five years. I think it takes okay. a while for, for you to to figure that out. I, I talked to I remember talking to a friend of mine who was working at Arthur Anderson in, like, 1998 at that point. There was a thing back then called Y2K. And I asked him how it was going, and he said, well, we're not really hunting for any more Y2K problems. That's now off strategy for us. I said, well, that's amazing. It seems like there's... Tremendous opportunities. He goes, yes, but they're all only going to last another eighteen months. Okay. So, if um, that helps.
0: Huh. Okay. So, so in in that case, like, what types of problems uh, should uh, should those businesses be considering within the market, and how should the how should they best frame those problems uh, to be able to 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 lo- align their business?
1: So most people that we work with don't ask me these questions okay (laughs) so i'm just i'm just being candid Um, most people that we work with have a burning desire to solve this particular problem or to take this technology which they believe is going to make a difference and find a place to apply it Um, i think larger firms ask the kind of questions that you're asking where we've got these resources, what's the best way to deploy it? But for the early stage entrepreneurs I work with, they typically they want to go do it. We're trying to help them make it succeed, right? So it's yeah. a little it's a little different, I guess. the The people we try and deter would be somebody that says, "I've never worked in clean tech, but I hear there are huge opportunities. I'd like to go do something there." It's like, well. You better find somebody then that knows a lot about clean tech as opposed, or, or you know, biotech or pick your favorite domain because a strong desire in and of itself is not enough.
0: Right? Yeah, but so, so let me, let me put some, some meat around that then. Uh, so I do feel personally that, that the concept of a problem is, is quite subjective both in the way it's understood but as well in the way it's expressed between people. Uh, So how do you feel like, what do you feel is the relationship between, for example, the problem that a a company that comes to you guys uh, uh, is addressing versus the job to be done behind it? Like, uh, what's the relationship between between jobs to be done and problems specifically? So I really like the jobs to
1: be done formulation. I like the idea that you're hiring hiring a product to solve a problem. So, I think there's a couple things. Let me unpack a little bit of what you're talking about. So, I think there's a couple things going on there. The first is that um, it's much better if the people you're calling on realize they have a problem, or at least acknowledge that they have symptoms and better that they have a problem, right? Um, if you've got to convince them they've got the problem, it's a much harder path to pursue right? So it has to be a recognized problem. And your solution, you have to, so our rule of thumb is um, I have to be able to come in and within two hours, working from information that's readily available to you, tell you something that's relevant to your business you didn't know. So the best case is in a quote long demo, I I could show you something that says I can make that problem better. The, the backup step is, okay, you'll agree to let me take some data away or some aspect of this problem away, and I'll come back within five working days, I'll come back with it a week later, and I'll be able to demonstrate something to you. So if you can't, if you don't have that level of kind of time to value, I think it gets much harder to sell, I think as a startup, where, you, where you're already in kind of a one down position with not much credibility, you have to offer not only a compelling kind of before and after, but a fairly quick time to solution, right? Maybe not maybe not time to fully deploy throughout the enterprise, but you've got to show them something that says we can solve this problem. We can solve your problem working from your particular um, information, data, what have you, your
0: situation.
1: We can make it better.
0: So you're trying you're you're trying to sell the relationship between what things are today and what they could be tomorrow with a clear time horizon of how how you actually get from A to B. I'm
1: trying to demo to them the solution or, or an aspect of a solution that they're going to find compelling. It has to be a business critical issue. It has to be a, it has to be a problem that the, that the customer is willing to spend money to solve. Right, some kind of goal or problem or yeah. careers is at risk. Yeah. And um, you, so people that are in a lot of pain will accept partial solutions. You don't have to make the problem go away, but you've got to deliver some significant quantum of benefit that, that makes it noticeably better.
0: But right? so, so how do you make sure that both your understanding and the, the, the prospect or the, the customer's understanding of the problem, and maybe your team members understanding the problem, all sync up so it's all the same. You're you're sure that you're all solving the same problem. So, this is very hard, and it involves a fair amount of trial and error.
1: There's no, <laughs> you can't. You actually have to. I mean, so bat. So Batman's got the Batcave where he develops all of his tools and all of his techniques, right? He's got all of yeah. his plans, right? He has to leave the Batcave to fight crime. I mean without the bat cave he's not as effective as a crime fighter but yeah. you actually have to get out of you have to get out of the bat cave and you have to go engage with customers and sometimes many times you may be met with it's kind of like the dogs watching television effect they look at you they go yeah i don't have that problem sometimes you propose a solution and they go well i've got these constraints or these requirements that mean that your solution is completely unsatisfactory you just you have to engage and, and it's, a, it's a somewhat of a trial and error process.
0: Well, so, so coming back like, to the previous question, like, uh, does it make, would it make sense to first define the job to be done then figure out what the problems are or, or can you do the reverse? So we have people that have a technology
1: that has uses in many areas. And sometimes you explore in multiple areas in parallel and they get traction in a particular place. They're typically all related in some, you know, s- s- overall industry yeah, overall area, yeah. but, but you don't always know where it's going to work best. Sometimes you've got a problem, and you turn out that you that you glue together three or four existing techniques in a, in a, in a novel methodology or a novel way to solve it in a way that's much better than what's out there. So I've seen it work both ways. Sometimes you start with a, Sometimes you start with a technology or solution. Sometimes you start with a problem. Um, I'm, not, I'm not particularly, um, I don't have a dog in that fight. I, I, there's a whole bunch of, the, the jobs to be done guys are all,
0: I don't know, it's a very quarrelsome church. So. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think that's something that most people can agree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so in the book, you talk about the importance of time to revenue. I've seen this framed as well as time to product market fit. I think it's a really interesting concept. So, so um, how do you feel time to revenue should impact uh, a business or a funder's uh, decision making process?
1: So I say time to revenue, and I have to be careful because when when many people hear that, they think about how long does it take to get paid once you build them, right? And that's yeah, that's a, that's a consideration, but it's it's. What I'm really talking about is, is how long, so what I mean by that is how long does it get, take to get paid once you've had a first conversation and you believe that you can provide them with value? You've essentially got a qualified prospect. So how quickly can you go from, we've qualified that we've got somebody who's, who fits our target customer profile and has a problem we can solve, to how quickly can we show, can we demonstrate value in their business and get paid? And yeah. we normally encourage startups to align when they get paid to when the customer sees value because this significantly reduces the customer's perception of the risk in this purchase or the risk in this deal. And frankly, customers are not going to cut you a lot of sl- slack until you've, act, early customers at least, until you've demonstrated some real value. Um So I think this question of how quickly you can produce value in their business is, is, is always a strategic consideration for startups.
0: Yeah. Well, so, so, so to, to the question, I, 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 the added question I'm adding there. So it's, it's in that case, like if you have a different uh, monetary horizon, so you're bootstrapping versus your, uh, your venture backed startup, you should, should your idea of what the, Time to revenue change, and should in that case mean that the type of value you're trying to provide will be different.
1: Okay, so there's two
0: there's two drivers on this.
1: So so under, I think I, okay. So we do some work with venture back folks. Typically, it's after they run through their money and have discovered the joys of bootstrapping. <laughs> um, the reason why you want to focus on. Um, the customer paying you is, is because that's unambiguous proof that you've delivered value. For the most part, a business will not pay you, will not do a reorder until you've delivered value. And that's, that is the crucible when a whole cluster of hypotheses that you've been carrying around actually get marked to market, that actually you say this works or it doesn't. So to me, the time to revenue is the clock is the clock speed or the clock cycle on how quickly you can run experiments and you can iterate. Right now, I know in the very very beginning, people may pay you with their attention if you can. So we, we try a message and you get paid with the attention. That, that's interesting, but that's not compelling, right? And then it's will they give you data? Will they give you? Will they give you some problem you can solve to demonstrate you can do something? That's a form of payment again. That's necessary but not sufficient. So the reason why I focus so much on time to revenue is that's when you get unambiguous truth, unambiguous proof that you've actually delivered value. So I think venture guys should do it as well as bootstrappers. Yeah. We just
0: don't tend to work on well them as much. Well I, I think they probably somewhat try to do it based on their, I guess their, their, their pitch decks and how, how much money they feel they need to raise to reach certain milestones. But yeah, they probably don't do it the same way for sure. Um, So that's partly why I think it's super interesting. It's really interesting in the book that you talk about as well, the time that it takes to get paid, which is a really critical uh, consideration, especially for people who have maybe never managed a business because actual money matters if you want to keep the, uh, the business engines going
1: right and I, I think it's possible to to work nights and weekends and do a certain amount of lunch hours breakfast and do it outside of ordinary work hours uh, not not chasing customers that your current employer also wants or at least solving the same problem I don't think you should compete with your current employer yeah, in any yeah. day. Um, the, the other thing that the venture back guys sometimes get into I think is that they're like this um, I did some business once with a with an early stage startup. And um, I said, look, I'd like to buy a seat. And they say, Well, we're trying to prove our business model and, and selling to you is going to be off strategy for us. And I'm like, Well, how many people have paid for the product? Well, no one. Well, gosh, I'd like to use it and, and see what I can do, right? And they yeah, they they were very committed to their model, right? I guess I was off strategy and if, if, if i'd been on the other side of the table i would have found a way to take my money and work with me because it would say something in other words, if i already had 10 paying customers then i might be less less willing to 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 explore but in the very beginning all you've got is a hypothesis about how it's going to work you don't actually have proof
0: yeah and it's interesting when people self-select to some extent as if, as you were kind of doing in that case, like like you were thinking, all okay, right, this could be interesting uh, for the for that. Like so that that's, it's probably very important, very important to still be open to these, uh, I guess these, uh, unplanned outcomes a little bit because they can open up doors that are really interesting. Uh, so in the book, you talk about the importance of letting go of bad product ideas and knowing when to pivot. Uh, so what are some of the signs or signals that typically indicate the need for a pivot or a change of strategy?
1: So when, pe- when people talk, some people talk about pivots as if it's kind of like um, not a big deal. And at least as I look at it, it's typically somewhat painful. It's always hard. Right? So first of all, I think you've got to talk to enough of your target customers who have the program, problem and know that you're not providing value. So you've got to have explored and and that number for me is somewhere between 10 and 30, provided that you're listening carefully. Right. And it can be less if you get a very strong signal, but, but to me that's kind of the range. Right. I also make a distinction between pivoting and tinkering. I think you're tinkering a lot. I think you're making a lot of small adjustments You're making a lot of fine adjustments. Um, The other thing is, I think when the team forms, they need to have, they need to say, look at us, look at our capabilities, let's make a plan B and a plan C now. Because one of the other things that makes pivoting hard is, it's, should we keep doing this or do something else? I don't know what that something else is. And that that unknown actually makes people persist on a bad plan when they should have pivoted. And, and having, having uh, worked with and had, had, the, had the privilege to, to hear a number of serial entrepreneurs talk about this at the breakfast, if you look at how they go about it, they typically, the, the team doesn't change as much, but when the team forms, they, they write down a list of ideas and they work that list. And so if the first thing doesn't work, they go to the second one. I think first time folks tend to get trapped in the, I can do plan A or I don't know what I'm going to do. And that always leads to uh, probably too, too
0: far down the wrong track. And in, in that case, like when you're talking about plan A, plan B, uh, should those plans be ideas or should they be markets or should they be combinations of both or should they? I
1: think, I, I think they should, I think they should be written down. Okay. And I think they should be um, plans for some way to make a substantial some way that still builds on the distinctive know-how and the social capital of the team that may involve a different technology or may be going to a very different market. Okay. So So we're not going
0: to sell to these guys. We're going to sell to these people. over here. So in a way, charting this different paths that are not necessarily uh, overlapping enough that one would negate the other one.
1: Right. I think the other thing is if you can't, if you can't think of at least three things you could do with, with a team, then um, you're probably not investigating enough alternatives, right?
0: Okay, okay, um, okay. I
1: think it's also legitimate to explore a little bit in parallel. I think that's, I'm, I'm not as, um, I think it's sometimes useful to, to say, look, we've got, we've got two ideas here and two, uh, it's, there's a risk of, you know, you chase two rabbits you don't catch either. But there's also a benefit to being a little um, being open to multiple possibilities, right? And, and it could be that you discover that both are actually viable. One is small, but the time to revenue is much shorter, in which case you use that to kind of get in and establish a beachhead. And then from there or a base camp, and then you can scale up into B and C and D. And you should have a plan for what happens when you exhaust your primary market but that's a different conversation mm-hmm.
0: you're asking. well so, so once you've so say you're exploring several opportunities in parallel or a little bit in parallel and you decide to go with opportunity b for example should at that point you stop exploring other other options and focus entirely on that one or can you still keep other paths uh, in your target crosshair
1: you know, I think I think there's 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 kind of there's discovery and delivery or, or, or exploration and execution. Um, I think you've got to be to really make it work. You're going to have to to go all in on one opportunity for a certain amount of time. You you, you um, to when you really get into it and you're competing with incumbents or with, against other people that you're in a startup you have to, at some point you have to focus for the fact. That doesn't mean that you can't come back later on and reopen some of those conversations and go forward. But um, I think you've got to, and you've got to be open to the fact that you've, you, you, you've invested a lot of this in this effort and it's not paying off. You're not getting, you're not getting traction. you're not
0: getting uh, uptake, and you've got to change gears. Okay, 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 great. So maybe if we take a step back a little bit, uh, more of a general question. So uh, you've been you've been helping companies for for several years. You've seen different models. I, I know you work with uh, some hardware companies, software, different types of organizations. So as your your perspective on starting businesses evolved over the years, like how do you see B two B entrepreneurship evolving moving forward? So like where 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 was your understanding of it before? Where is it now? And where is it where you think it you think it's trending? It's a big question.
1: <laughs> you know, I, um, I think we've, we've. Uh, so I guess the first thing to say is there's no fixed formulas for success, unless you want to buy a franchise, and even then things change. Right? So I think you've got to be careful about people that are promising you a fixed formula for success. Um, there's there's a really good article uh, by R. A. um I don't know from the late '80s uh, planning is learning and he says the ability to learn faster than competitors may be the only sustainable competitive advantage. I think that's that to me is the core at least for technology entrepreneurship, right and and that means that there's, there's a need for ongoing exp- exploration of discovery efforts, not only about natural phenomena and kind of technology innovation. Um, I wouldn't call it basic research. I'd use, I'd use Donald Stokes, Stokes' term of use-inspired research. right? So, but, you're, but you're open to discovering basic principles. But I think there's also got to be this ongoing, intense curiosity and care on the part of everyone in the startup who touches the customer. About how to create more value, or how to remove things that are that are limiting or restricting the value they get from the product. So, so to me, I don't know that that's actually changed. Um, I think that's that's probably been true. I started doing this in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, um, and and um, I don't think that's that aspect of it i don't think has changed you have to have an intense curiosity you have to be committed to creating value um, and you have to be committed to ongoing
0: uh, learning well in that case is isn't like what changed more the fact that maybe more businesses are are uh convinced by these ideas or maybe that that the the way you were able to learn or the way you are able to uh, speed up that learning or, or, or continuously improve yourself have also improved as well. Would that be a fair assessment of maybe what's, what's trending or what's changing over time?
1: So one of the things that, that you have to do at certain points to learn more is you have to let go of old ways of doing things and you have to let go of previous expertise. And I just don't know anybody who doesn't find that painful. Um, You have to, if you've got a process that's working very well, um, it's hard to break that up to find the higher plateau or even worse when a when a customer when a, when a competitor comes in that's outperforming you you're going hey that what we what we currently count as the best we can do is not good enough you have to you have to look for new methods and look for new approaches and i don't know anybody that find i don't know that that's getting i don't know if that process is getting any easier i guess i'll put it that way i mean i think because i think there's a there are human elements to that or human aspects to that and the interpersonal aspects to that that um, are just very painful. I mean, there's a there's a aspect to learning that's, that's uh, when you have to reorganize your understanding of something, um, that's both exciting, but in some cases it can be very painful as well. I mean, <clears throat> it's, it's, the, it's the realization that like a lot of things that I thought I knew are now wrong or obsolete or, whatever, so I don't know that that gets any easier.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and it's also hard to know which parts will either become obsolete or will continue, continue to deliver value. It's very difficult to know how, how you should plan for adaptation moving forward, I guess. No, it's right, right. and, <clears throat> and um, I was talking to somebody the other day
1: about the Fuji versus Kodak, right? Yeah and, yeah, and so two guys at the top of their game in, in photo uh, photography and, and digital photography is coming. And for the purposes of photography, digital obsoleted probably, let's say 60 to 70% of their knowledge. In the world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think Kodak gets a bad rap. I think they, they, they ultimately didn't do as well as they could have. But the Fuji guys said, okay, we're going to hang on to what we what we know. So they, they chose the they chose the pain of going and talking to a ton of strangers to figure out who else could use what they did, right? Which is which is as painful. And and being told over and over again, you're used to coming in with high confidence and you're saying, no, you don't understand. Right? And we got to go hire people, I'm sure, that understand these other industries so that. They can take our know-how and they can repurpose and remix, and redeploy it. But Fuji made Fuji. You know, did that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kodak was less able to. I guess. So to me, I, I mean, confronted with, I mean, there's a, at some point, I think so that so that the the the. the uh, Sattel guy, the digital Tonto guy, has got a thesis that we're kind of coming to the end of the um, the digital run, right? And that we're going to go back and material science and atoms and all this stuff is going to make a much bigger difference than, than digital. And, and, and I've argued at some level that some of the digital, um, the, the, the Facebook and some of the social network stuff is actually a little bit like heroin, right? That maybe maybe we're Made a maybe are, are in the same way that in 1905, you could buy heroin in the drugstore, and by 1920, you couldn't. Maybe we're gonna look at, at Facebook that way. But, but the deeper point is, is that we may be hitting an inflection here, where all of a sudden material science and atoms may become a, a much more significant source of innovation than just a pure digital play. And I think the companies that adapt to that are gonna to have to go through this restructuring process Um, and I, you know, I don't know how you, I mean, I, it's, I think it's painful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but maybe that's also this, the, the answer to some extent, you gotta be willing to accept that pain. Like, which seems to be the case of with Fuji that you were mentioning, like you gotta have set, set things up in a way that people are willing to take that, that pain.
1: Right. Because your survival is at stake.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to that point specifically, oftentimes that decision is made when the ship is already sinking, as opposed to like on a continuous basis.
1: Well, and and things are going great. I mean, I mean, the problem is, is the new technology comes in slowly, and and it, first of all, it takes away many customers you didn't really care to serve. So for a while, you think this is great. We our core is protected, and our our yeah. stuff is going to be served by this crappy digital stuff
0: yeah 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 in a lot of way i feel like those are also based on maybe out out outmoded ideas from business like you read a lot of like the mba type books from like the 90s and things like that and it's this idea of like endless growth or like endlessly being able to like just operationalize a business and then keep 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 spitting out cash where i think as we've seen like if you look at like the 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 companies on the, the S P uh uh like the 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 lifeline of a business is short is getting shorter and shorter like it's way harder to be on top and you could argue that like kodak for example had a really good run for a long time but like maybe they did reach the end of the line for there or maybe they didn't need to no they could have they could have emulated fuji yeah yeah which is probably a very difficult thing to do when you're the incumbent right. hmm Super interesting. Thanks for taking the time, Sean. Uh, where can people go to learn more about your work, uh, some of your thoughts on, on business and entrepreneurship? So I've got a
1: website with about 2,000 blog posts on it. It's skmurphy.com. Great. Right. Um, and that's that probably is the best place to, um, to find me. Perfect. So thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it.